Okay, we are live on another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And uh, we have some very special guests today. We have Lance Carlisle and we have Tim. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, we are very special. Yeah. Very special guest, Tim. Yeah. No, I actually, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you guys on. This was originally going to be a topic for one of my Just Me podcasts that I do where I answer listener questions and things like that. But, but not I, even you can stand listening to you for that long. Get <laughs> 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 someone in the, the, the debate. You know, if I had you on that podcast, on the Just Me podcast with me, it would go from like 30 minutes to about three hours. So, uh, but no, I'm um, the, I, I just figured it would be better to have a, little, a couple more perspectives on this. And, and I know that you two and I have had uh, a lot of conversations uh, on topics of church and faith and faith journeys, crises, whatever you want to say. And so I just figured this would be a good one to open up to all of us. And um, so uh, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. And just so everybody knows uh, who, who Tim and Lance are, Tim, you have been teaching Institute now for what, two, two years, three years? It's under two years, yeah. About two years. And what are the, It's just a state call assignment with the, with the church. And who, like, what topics have you been teaching? Um, I taught uh, the plan of salvation uh, twice. I did a workshop and then a full semester of that. A, a couple of semesters teach. I taught a Book of Mormon a semester and the book Jesus the Christ by James E. Talmadge. We I did a, a class on that with that was my first time teaching with a uh, with the director of the institute at the the campus I was teaching of, of uh, Salt Lake Community College. Um, he invited me to help teach that with him, and so we alternated. And that was my first big one was the teaching the book Jesus the Christ. So, Book of Mormon um, and Plan of Salvation a couple years and part of a mission prep class, part of an answer to gospel questions class. So, yeah. That's interesting. Now, um, perhaps for people, if there's anybody listening who is not familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, can you just give a quick flavor of what Institute is? Yeah. But um, basically, we don't have like, I mean, we don't have like a, the, the we have the, the worship services and everything we do on Sunday, which is our actual worshiping and going to Sunday school, partaking the sacrament or communion, whatever. Um, all that is done through the, the the church itself. But separately, we have several programs for primarily for the youth where we have the seminary program for high school kids to go to take um, as a as a class throughout their um, high school years, um, each year focusing on a different book of scripture, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's a program where every day they can go and take a class from a, 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 a expert professional teacher hired by the church through a different program called the church education system. Um, after they graduate high school, then they have the opportunity for adult level classes, which are the institute program, which are offered at most colleges or online or through the or the religion classes that are done through the um, oh, what's that new program they have where they get a pathways. A, yeah. Pathways program where they have. Um, institute level classes where it's just a huge variety of topics uh, could be a book could be the plan of salvation missionary prep classes like i mentioned new testament genealogy marital relationships there's like all kinds of things there's like dozens and dozens of, of topics and it's just like college classes where they can pick if they find a campus that's teaching offering that class it says who's teaching it and then they uh 
can sign up and, and register. It's all free unless you do it at a, a university where you have to pay for parking. <laughs> so that's right. a little different. But uh, well, yeah, you don't it's have a to pay program. for parking if you're an institute student. I think it's like a $2 or something for the semester. It's really expensive. I oh, don't know. they started charging for it? Wow. No, we did when we went to, to the Institute. Oh. We went to the... Yes, we, I, Lance, I drove. Yes, we did. I, I, specifically, I specifically took Institute classes for the parking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like my most of the reason. Well, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but... <laughs> well, oh, yeah. my buddy <laughs> drove, drove me in. He was not a member of the church. And he loved it because he had his full curriculum at the University of Utah taking engineering and EMT classes. And I took a full curriculum, a full day of classes at the Institute. And he loved it because I got the free parking. He didn't have to deal with that parking at the campus. So they used to it. like every semester they would be like, all right, some of you are here just for the free parking. And we want you to know that if you don't have a certain number of classes, it was like then we're going to kick you out or whatever. Yeah. So. Anyway, long story short, it's just an opportunity for people to learn from from professionals or experts, not my level, because the, the faculty is built on either a stake call, which are the, organ, the, the congregations and groups and throughout the valley, throughout the church, throughout the world, um, that they can have people who are assigned to help teach these classes like myself or professionals who have been teaching these seminary and institute classes for years and going to college and teach in education and everything who are very, very good. I am not very, very good, as you'll uh, observe from this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. But that's yeah. what the program is. And that's not my specialty. <laughs> I just it's just an opportunity I've had for a couple of years to help out. And it's been a lot of fun. That's that's cool. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you're you're not very good, but you're decent. <laughs> Uh, exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, you. Yeah, if I remember you as a missionary, you're decent. You know. <laughs> I just want to point out real quick that um, I am in the middle of a move, and I'm not moving to an Arby's, nor am I opening an Arby's. Arby's has the best moving boxes, and I'm just saying, if you're ever to move, these are the perfect boxes for moving for many reasons. I don't need to go into right now, but that that's why the my backdrop isn't a big Superman layout like normal. So just wanted to clarify that for anyone that's ever seen me before i kind of like it better <laughs> i do i do prefer the arby's motif to the superman. <laughs> superman. <laughs> now now lance you um you also you actually work for the church yeah and and what department do you work for we call it priestcraft <laughs> for those who don't know what priestcraft is no we won't get into that um, I, I work for the finance department, finance and records department, and I worked for the media department for about eight years. Nice. And, uh, and, and what do you, I mean, tell me your experience in working for the church. Uh, how does that at all? Honest glance. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know about work, but uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. no, I mean, how, how does working for the church, does it, is it at all connected to your faith other than the fact that you, you know, go to church? I mean, is it, does it affect your faith negatively, positively, or not at all? I Depending mean, on how big the, the paycheck is, yes. is signed by the prophet, right? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I mean, it definitely affects, um, I, I've known people that have left the church because they worked for it. Hmm. Um, and of course there's a lot of, um, my, my boss right above me, he is a stake president, which is, you know, a, a leadership of about, I don't know how many people is about 
in about a thousand people in a congregation. Uh, it's so a congregation is a uh, the leader of the congregation is a bishop. The stake president is the leader of um, five multiple. or six bishops. Yeah, yeah multiple <laughs> bishops. Um, so obviously, you know, the uh, working for the church is, doesn't make everybody leave it. And, and there's a lot of leaders, local leaders that work for the church too. But um, it's, it's tough because it, it, with faith, you know, faith, the challenge with every, every faith is when the rubber meets the road, right? And everyone expects, has this ideal of, you know, if you're a preacher, if you're a, a man of faith, then you, you should be perfect, right? And obviously that's not true. And so a lot of people struggle with that. And you'll see people that lie and cheat and steal and do all the things that, you know, someone that's supposed to be a, a church person wouldn't do. And that can be a struggle for you sometimes, right? You're like, what's going on? And sometimes it's not really that. It's just everyone has their own different perspective and they don't agree. You know, you have all the dynamics you have everywhere else. But a lot of people, you know, it's hard to um, do the math between, hey, we're supposed to be perfect, and hey, nobody's perfect, and and we have to meet somewhere in the middle. That can be a struggle sometimes. But it's definitely not like any other job. Like I don't hear people dropping the F bomb in the morning ever. Um, I don't, you know, it's if if people are doing things that are bad, it's always very under the table which isn't always the way in, in some companies, right? Some people are very open about not living the commandments, which in the church church workforce, you just won't see that because if you did, you would be fired. <laughs> so interesting. And I, I mean, I work at the church office building, which is downtown and actually part of the temple campus, we call it. And there is a feel. There's a different, definitely a different feel when you walk onto that ground. It's holy ground, right? And... And after a while, after you've worked there for a while, you sort of get so used to it, you don't notice it anymore. But once in a while, if you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, it, it is different. It's a different there's, place. There's times that I've been like, hey, Lance, let's go see the lights on Temple Square for Christmas time. You're like, Tim, Tim I don't want to go because I work there. It's like me going back <laughs> yeah, exactly. to work. And I'm like, no, it's the temple. Let's go to the temple. Yay, like, let's no. go back to work during the weekend. <laughs> I imagine that's probably a little bit like when you're on a mission because – you're so constantly in my mind when you're on a mission you're, you're if you're doing it the right way you're on a constant spiritual high but you don't really notice it until you get home and then you don't have that anymore and you're like wow yeah you know it's it's a different it's, i say i say if you're doing it right because you know there were some of us here not to be named <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding <laughs> it was me not it was, him. It was lance yeah <laughs> Um, I do it right. I'll say it. Um, no, but it, it, it that's a, the way you put it that way is is true. And I think for me, like the reason I really I didn't want to work for the church. I really didn't. I tried to avoid it, but at the time in my life, it was the only job available. And for whatever reason, like it, it was what I ended up with. But now that I've worked for the church, like the thing that I like the most about it is at the end of the day, because of my faith and the way I feel about things, I know that it's like a company um, that that's in goal is good. 
And you can't always say that with the companies you're working with, right? If I'm working for Microsoft, their end goal is to make money, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a nonprofit, so I'm sure people that work for nonprofits, it, it makes it, it, it does matter when you work for a nonprofit that's supposed to be at least their end goal is something more than just earn money or, you know, that kind of thing. So sure. I like that. I like that environment. No, that's great. Well, well, I, I wanted to highlight that because I think that that highlights our different perspectives. I tend to be a little more analytical and, uh, you know, as an attorney, I've been kind of trained in using, you know, logical reasoning, I guess you would call it. Uh, not that I do that all the time, but, uh, yes, you, know, you do. <laughs> but I, but well, I do. And, and the thing is, it's hard about faith. I think is that like, you can't, there's so much of it that's just not logical. You can't look at it through a logical lens. You have to look at it through a lens of spirituality and faith. And sometimes that you have to just, you know, logically there are things that don't make sense. Like the idea that a, a person could, you know, walk around a certain area for three years teaching and then be crucified and then somehow raise himself, raise himself from the dead three days later. And that somehow forgive, we all have the ability now to be forgiven of sins. Like logically that doesn't make a lot of sense spiritually it does. And, and so, uh, so I'm glad that you guys are all here because it gives us all different perspectives for this, this listener. So I'll, I'll start reading and we'll, uh, if anybody, you know, if either one of you want me to stop, just stop me on, on something uh, and I'll stop at times as well, I think. Just to clarify, I mean, so you said this was uh, someone that wrote into your podcast and not like this is someone that you know who they are, but this is. Okay. Yeah, I know who they are, It's but I don't know. There's context of the question isn't the important thing. I was just that this yeah. was a letter sent to your show. I thought we already established their name was Ed Joshua. <laughs> no, this is, uh, but but there are things. I think the reason that this person reached out is because there are things that I've been pretty public about. About I have I have had at times a faith. I I did have a faith. I don't know if you, I don't think they use the term faith crisis anymore. But I had a little bit of a a moment where I was like, I don't know if this makes a lot of sense for me. Which was I listening to the tenor of this. I obviously don't know the whole story about this, but. Listening to the tenor of it, it's a little bit different because I don't think mine was necessarily connected to any of these topics in particular. So here we go. It says, uh, Josh, thanks for putting together this podcast. I've been following for a while and I'm really loving the content. My favorites have been the shows that show the differing types of people who go to church and their differing views on faith. I've actually had a hard time fitting in myself. Uh, I've never felt like I was the person who just blindly follows with everything the church says. I'm not saying I don't believe it or I don't believe in Jesus. I just don't believe everything the church says. And that's gotten to be more true over the last few years. Um, so stopping there, what, what would you say? Because I, I had a little bit of pause with the blind faith comment. What, what do you guys think about so Sorry. So the first thing that just like as you're reading that, I, I, I don't know if this is what they were getting into, but I know from conversations we've had in the past that that is an existing thing that different people clash with aspects of the church, either because of the history or because of the doctrines or because of the policies or the culture, which is a big thing that you, I know you talk about a lot on your mm -hmm. show or in person. Um, I, so I was going to throw out there that thought that 
not what is this person like we're trying to resolve this person's question that's not that's not necessarily it they're just addressing things that are our topics to, to talk between us about but is there is there a is there a real important distinction between someone that has a problem with the beliefs versus the culture because that is really people can have challenges on both of those things and that's completely different like how you would go about trying to work on or or um or analyze or or fix or or encourage or strengthen either of those things would be completely different because it's easy for me to like separate all the cultural stuff and like i can say that's just people and that's just like lance was talking about the this the culture and the society of a business owned and governed by the church that's still just people and there's corruption and there's in, there's imperfections in the people running those that organization but then there's the the good cause behind that organization then that would be the practice the business practices and the the leadership and the beliefs of the companies so as us as members kind of the same thing there's the way people act and treat each other which a lot of times is horrible that's the culture on this on the other hand there are the beliefs. And if someone has a challenge with the beliefs, that's a different conversation. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think you're you're dead on. And and often when I have actual phone call conversations, because that happens at times, people will call me when they're struggling with certain aspects of faith. One of the first questions I ask is, okay, so are we talking about a doctrinal issue or are we talking about like a cultural issue? And right. And, and I've found both, I think more often than not, the argument is, well, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And the fruits I'm seeing from some of the members in my ward or my stake or this person or that, uh, I don't think are that good. And and I, I'm with you. I think there are some aspects. And, and by the way, I also want to characterize something just that you said, well, you know, the culture people people treat each other really bad and that's the culture. I don't think that's the culture at all. And I don't think that's what you meant, but I mean, like the, I think there are aspects of the culture that are problematic. Can be bad. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they're not, but it's not, you know, there are a lot or of just, or depending on the person can just be triggering for one very specific thing that can be a huge deal for one person and offend that person and completely nothing to someone else. Yeah, yeah, but or also there could just be there could be certain people who are just like, for example, I think in every ward, there's probably a few people who are prone to gossip. You know what I mean? And a few. <laughs> that's funny, John. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, that's what I'm saying though. You get in these groups, right? And I, and I don't even think this is unique to our face. You know, I think can talk about those gossipers real quick. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Let's start naming them. No, that, there's, <laughs> no, but that's the thing is that I think that that is, especially if you're somebody who isn't perceived as going along the same lines or looking the same or have the same, you know, cookie cutter version of right. what if people think a Mormon is. So that's so, really hard. So Josh, I'm going to throw this back at you then. Cause, and I'm not me. this isn't an attack. It's just, I know you've thought a lot and we've had a lot of conversations about the cookie cutter mold None of us on this this discussion right now really fit that mold. I know very well. I know you both very well. And we don't fit this typical seminary video, Mormon church video uh, family. Uh, oh, you <laughs> exactly. But this one I'm going to throw at you, Josh. The person in there said a lot of times they feel like they don't fit in. 
and a lot of the people you've had on your channel not that i've listened to like all of them but it's if, if the, the things that you share often reflect people that don't feel like they fit in but they're still trying to you know associate themselves because of the beliefs so my question for you is how do you feel about someone that doesn't feel with them fitting in you know in contrast with that culture like wh what is your how do you how do you address that or does it really matter if you fit in and not that that makes it easy you know what i mean yeah you know it's it's actually really interesting i have a very different push pull with this i think mm -hmm. i mean obviously everybody wants to be viewed in high regard and everybody wants to be viewed positively but like, I really don't care what people think. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to like the wrestling stuff, I could give I could care less if somebody thinks that that's good or not. There've, I've had some people, you know, comment on the fact that I, you know, I, I often will post a lot of videos and pictures of my, of my kids on things. And they're like, oh, I can't believe you're using them for entertainment. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're having fun. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't care what other people think about that. Right. I I just do what makes me happy within the confines of the beliefs that I have. Do you see what I'm saying? And I I think that the 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 box, if you will, is a problem with the culture. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the what? I think I the, the the box, like the thing that oh, the, 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 the yeah. cookie cutter version of Mormonism is part of the problem with the culture. Because like you're like Lance joked, he's like, I hope I don't look like the people on the video. Nobody does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you dig deep, like I've, I, I've served in, I've served in bishoprics and an elders quorum president. I've been an elders quorum president. I've been on a high council, and I can tell you that deep down behind the surface, nobody looks like those people. Right. Well, and I and I want to touch on that a little bit because that's those were my first thoughts when you read this statement. Um, or that, like I've noticed, especially recently in the past few years, that I think all of us, to one extent or another, feels like an outsider when we go to church. And I think that there's this concept that there's this core group of people in a ward or a congregation, that's what we call a ward, um, that are the, the in people. And then there's these fringe out people that just don't quite fit. Yeah. But if you get into that, those in people and you actually, like you mentioned, you, you talk to them, they feel the same way. They often feel exactly the same way that they're they just don't fit in. And they so I think it's a little bit of a facade um, that no matter where you go, like I feel that way. I feel like I I am not like I don't fit in very well with my ward. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give you a little background of that. I grew up in the church. Um, I got baptized when I was eight years old. Um, I, me and Tim grew up in a, a small town together where everybody, practically everybody was members. I worked for the church. I, you know, I, I've been in the, I have pioneer heritage, you know, all that stuff. But I still feel that way all the time. I feel like, you know, so I, I don't think that it's, I think it's a little bit of a, a fox well, idea that, yeah, that that there's this in group and and I think there was to a certain extent we all feel that way. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's the same. Like my wife, she's from Taiwan. She obviously feels a lot less, and she barely, you know, her English. She struggles with <laughs> English. Like uh, 
obviously it's that that feeling is going to be a lot stronger for her right than than it is for me but i think to a certain extent all of us feel that way i thought yeah. you were gonna say like tim struggles with english <laughs> yeah. yeah well <laughs> but, well before you the go, viewers I... judge that <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, I was going to say, when you were talking about that false box before Josh can take over from this thought, I think it's the exact same tendency that this isn't just a church problem. This is a, an, a, a bigger, more escalating issue with like social media, where people look at other people's uh, Facebook walls or whatever in their threads, and they're saying, here's what fancy place they went on vacation, and here's how happy their family is, or here's Josh's terrible dad jokes, and their kids are having a great time. Here's what you know, this person's new back-to-school outfit. Look how happy they are. But behind each of those individuals, they have problems, like you were saying, Josh, and, and your leadership is you've learned the insides of a lot of people's lives. And all those people are doing is looking at everyone else with these false boxes and looking at their false. And the church has come out in, in, in the last decade hitting on this a lot. Don't be deceived by the, everyone's social media profiles because that's, it's all, it's, that's not the reality of who they are. And you can't compare yourself to what you see on other people's social media threads. And a lot of people don't even don't because they don't show the bad stuff. Some do. And th those are, we know people. Like <laughs> That's even worse. So I did a, I did a podcast just recently on this because somebody asked a question about this and, and I was like, you know, they kind of said something along the lines of like, you know, how do you keep it all together or whatever? And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I just said, you know, Hey, listen, like, you know what Facebook is? It's the new world photo album. It's just everybody's photo album, right? And, and the thing is, is that, yeah, like you, I said this on the on the Just Me podcast I did a couple times ago. I saw right? that clip. Go ahead. Yeah, where, where I just said like, nobody, you know, you, I put, a, whenever we, we haven't done it in a while, but my kids and I like to do breakfast on Sunday morning, right? And we videotape it and then we put it on Instagram or whatever. You know, the kids have a fun time with that. Well, I'm not putting, I'm not putting on the social media when I'm like yelling at one of the kids because they're not being cooperative in between like takes on the. You drop the bacon. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, or like I, they, I don't see, you know, we don't see the times where I'm like, I walk into Piper's room to give her a dad joke and she's clearly not in the mood. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she just, or she's struggling with something or Lexi's struggling with something. You know, I don't put that stuff out there, and right. neither does everybody else. And the people who do, you're a little weirded out by it. You, know I mean? <laughs> yeah. so, and you, you become disaffected. You like you don't. You end up not wanting to spend time on that person. It re, it, it repels people. Right. And so my my point is is that like you like you said, I think church, social media, all this stuff is really just a false narrative. Every single one of those people, I, I've said this in an elders quorum meeting one time. I said, listen, I was, I've been in a bishopric. I know for a fact that everyone in this room is secretly a train wreck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and it's true, right? Like every single person is dealing with something by the numbers. Like if you even look at the numbers, the percentages, you'd be shocked at if you looked at a number of elders, elders in a quorum, you know, in any room, there's a number of them who are dealing with pornography addiction or dealing with LGBT issues or struggling in their marriages or having financial issues or abuse issues. 
You know what I mean? There's there's all sorts of things. So it's like, don't be so hard on yourself. Just well, and I think that's that's key is like, I, I think it's a little harsh to say that social media is fake. I don't think it's fake. I no. think it's a narrative. And an, and, and I'm a, you know, I, I'm a film, you know, I, I went, I have a degree in film studies and narratives are important for society. They're, they're not real, but they are, you know, there's, there's pieces of us in those narratives and yeah, we only put the good pieces sometimes and we, we tailor it just like you do a narrative, but I think it's still important. And, but I think you hit on the key. The key is, is to realize it's a narrative and to realize that you're only seeing the tailored parts and, and not to let it, you know, you got to be careful. Don't get sucked into this um, depression or this hole of, you know, this, the, the pitfall of thinking, you know, that's, that's the way real life is. And that you know, the church has also encouraged people to utilize social media as a missionary tool or expressing your faith or doing things like what Josh does is putting out positivity and having a platform and using that for people that are comfortable doing so. The trap is when you compare yourself and then you get depressed because you're thinking that that's all that they are. So like yeah. Josh, bringing it back to the church culture, someone goes into church and they see everyone seeming because they got dressed. They, who knows what happened in the at the house before and getting the kids in the car and everything, getting ready for church. Who knows about that nightmare? But they see everyone sitting in their pews all beautiful and, and, and answering questions and behaving the way the, the cookie mold wants them to. So, I mean, what do you say to that? So the person that's like, oh, I don't really feel like I fit in. Because I'm that guy, too. I show up and I'm there with my kids. I'm divorced. I don't have the, the typical Mormon family set up. Um, I show up and you know the worst time for my the entire week, the most aggravating time for me and anxious time for me is right after the closing prayer and sacrament when everyone stands up and starts talking and mingling and shuffling to classes. That is the most awkward and horrible time for my entire week, right after the best time of the entire week having the sacrament. And it's just because I feel just I have friends in the ward, but I don't. I'm not, I get anxious with, with, with social situations like that, where there's no structure in the classroom. I'm ready to go. I can chime in and talk and I'm fun and animated teaching class. I'm not intimidated by, by how many people are there in, engaging with me, but just one-on-one, -on -one, just non-structured walking around talking in a chapel or in the foyer. I am freaked out. And it's partially because I don't, I don't know how to interact with them. I don't fit in with them, but then I teach Institute, you know, or, or whatever my calling is, like our, our Tim Brother Wild does an awesome, did an awesome talk. Yeah, because I can get up there and do nobody, it right. Nobody, nobody said that. <laughs> <laughs> I said it and I put it on social media, so it's true. No, <laughs> you know what no, I, mean? no. I hate that. It's horrible for me. I, I seriously, I get anxiety over that part of the day. I hate well, it. That, you know, that's actually something I think it's super important for people to hear. You know, like. This is the first time I've ever heard that about you, Tim. You, you've always been to me like a pretty social person. Easy. Everyone to talk. says that. Yeah. Everyone, no, that's, I've I never said that. <laughs> no, but I mean, no, I'm serious. People are, when I tell people I get freaked out by, by just talking to people and just opening, just going up to a stranger and talking or someone I know and just having that little small talk, I can't handle that. I'm really bad. I'm awkward. I'm, 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 I'm anxious about it. And people always say, oh, you, you would never expect that out of me. I'm like, that's true. And my, my kids have that too. Well, my, one of my kids. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about but going back to what you were saying about the cookie cutter mold. Yeah. You know, I, all the stuff that you're going through, all the stuff that goes on that, 
you know, the, the hard stuff, the bad stuff, whatever you want to say, it, the hard conversations you're having with your kids or the, the hard struggles you're dealing with. That's all the stuff that gets you from one cute Facebook post to the next. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, that's that's the life in between. You'll notice I haven't put much on social media for the last year. No, (laughs) I'm I'm really kidding. And that's the thing. This is the other important thing. What you just said for me, I'm fine. Every, I'm not like unhappy and and depressed and I'm sad to talk to people. I'm great. Things are going great for me right now. But even in my highest moments in life, I still don't fit in or know how to talk to people in general. And and even the ward, my congregation, which is supposed to be my closest group and my my strongest allies in life, besides my family, that I'm supposed to be able to go there to be encouraged and strengthened to give me the 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 strength for the rest of the week. Even there, just going up one on one with someone, I'm horrified of it, and I don't feel like I fit in. After church is over, I'm sitting there walking around like, hey, who can I talk to? Or you know, my friends. I want to talk to my friends for a little bit about what movie came out or something. And they're all hurrying to shuffle to get their kids together, get in their cars and hurry home because their kids are hungry. And then I'm there. Well, I guess I'll go home to my empty apartment with my Arby's boxes, you know? Yeah. The, go on the, the, the other part of this, uh, this paragraph here was talking about blind faith. And I just. I just yeah. Can you read? I, I didn't catch yeah. that part of the. Yeah, can so you reread it? I've actually had a hard time fitting in myself. I've never felt like I was the person who just blindly follows with everything the church says. I'm not saying I don't believe it or I don't believe in Jesus. I just don't believe everything the church says. And that's gotten to be more true over the last few years. And I, I, you I know, don't remember sending you that message, but that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing is, though, is if you. OK, so this is something that I've thought about for a while because the church has said for I can remember, we don't expect you to blindly follow. But at the same time, though, if you don't, like, there are a lot of people, maybe it's a culture thing, who are critical of that. You know? Um, So what would you say to somebody who says that, that they aren't the type of person who blindly follows, you know, the church? Well, you you use the word faith crisis, Josh. Mm -hmm. You said that they... There's a different term. Are you saying that the church uses a different term for that? No, I've, or... I've, heard, I've heard from therapists in particular who deal with this, that they're no longer using the term faith crisis and starting to call it faith journey. Interesting. So I, I, I like that, but I'm going to use faith crisis for a second. I didn't gain a testimony of the church until I had a faith crisis. And I would even argue that, and I have to be careful but um, I would argue that it's hard to have, hard to gain a testimony, you know, a, a true witness from the spirit that the church is true, unless you have some sort of crisis to, to start it out. And if you look at the patterns in the scriptures, that's happened to prophets, apostles, you know. So I don't know. I, I, that's the journey, right? You have the crisis, you struggle through it, you become a new person. So I, I, I think that's what faith is. Faith to me isn't this like belief of something that everything in your life tells you is, you know, like you said, your logic, everything tells you is not true. To me, what faith is, is you do something that you feel is what you should do for whatever reason. And then if it makes you a better person, you keep doing it and do more of it. To me, that's really what 
faith is is that that works part of it that development part of it and you know blind faith like is useless so i but i do i I do agree with you that there is a certain there are a number of people they're like you gotta do whatever the prophet says doesn't matter if you have an issue with it you know i have serious issues with things in the church um but i'm not about to leave it right like i have issues with lgbtq plus even more than tim that uh, i'm like no i have i have issues with the way the church treats women sometimes um i you know i i have my own little things um and i think everybody does to a certain extent can i read a i want to read a part of this uh, the paragraph from this talk this is by elder uh, jeffrey r holland who's an apostle in our church and and Josh, you and I have talked about this talk multiple times. It's called Lord, I believe it's from April in 2013. And it's not a word in here. It's interesting. We're talking about how they're saying journey, a faith journey now it says when problems come and questions arise, do not start your quest for faith by saying how much you do not have leading, as it were, to your unbelief. That is like trying to stuff a turkey through the beak. Let me be clear on this point. I am not asking you to pretend to faith you do not have. I am asking you to be true to the faith you do have. Sometimes we act as if an honest declaration of doubt is a higher manifestation of moral courage than is an honest declaration of faith. It is not. So let us all remember to be the the clear message of this scriptural account. Be as candid about your questions as you need to be. Life is full of them and one sub on one subject or another talking about questions. But if you and your family went, want to be healed, don't let those questions stand in the way of faith working in its miracle. But I think that's a, a great perspective. It's not everyone has questions and so, and everyone has doubts. And I, like we've talked about that, about crises before. We've had conversations where I've never felt like I've had like a crisis. And I'm not saying this is any kind of a pedestal where some people like I'm better than less because he's went gone when he was experiencing his testimony or whatever he was just describing. I wasn't listening. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't like the word crisis, but I understand how some people would feel what they're going through as a crisis it, it, in the long term, you know, Josh, as a missionary, I did fulfill a, an honorable and worthy mission journey or quest, but I did go through multiple crises, if that's the right way to say it. And that during that journey, you know what I mean? But I didn't experience like a mission crisis. I was like, oh, I almost went home. It was nothing like that. But I did go through periods where I had to work through something really rough that I would have called it in that moment a crisis. But on an overall journey, I don't think it's I'm not challenging the the verbiage that's used by by specialists or professionals right now. But uh, I think a lot of people are completely valid in feeling like they're having a a faith crisis. I just never had something where I was challenged or discouraged or questioning to the point where I would have used that for myself. I have had a quest. I have had that experience and that journey and I've had a lot of questions, but I think leaning on your faith is what pushes you through that point. And blind faith can just be another way of labeling those questions. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, this is what I think is really hard because I don't know what they mean by blind faith. Do they mean like someone who's never, ever questioned anything and just goes along without even thinking about it? Because that I think is not helpful because then I think, I think people who blindly follow like that, where like they've just always done it and they're always going to do it. And they just haven't even thought about it or really reasoned it out in their mind. I think when something really, really hits that, 
doesn't fit into their box of what happened. Like I see this quite a bit. You know, there are some people out there who quote unquote blind faith and they just believe everything and follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. But then as soon as something comes out that is against a core belief, I mean, it's, it this sounds silly to be a core belief, but like, let's use president Nelson coming out and saying everyone should get a COVID vaccine. Like, you know, or, or, or the, the, the quorum of the 12 encouraging that. I knew a number of people who really, really faithful, strong members of the church who had never, who were always on the, if, you, if there was a big conversation on Facebook or something about, you know, following the prophet, we're always on the follow the prophet who were like really struggling with that. You know what I mean? Whereas like, uh, you know, but, but if you're talking about somebody who, you know, has had enough spiritual experiences that and and if and has are so strong in their faith at this point and have gone through a true conversion and so therefore they they constantly fall on the side of faith over doubt i don't think that's blind faith does that make sense what i'm yeah. saying cuz like i think faith in faith doubt is a spectrum right yeah. like it's it really is. And every single one of these things that we talk about from the very doctrine that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and our savior, there is a faith versus doubt struggle. It could be true. It could not be true. Right. Like for any one of these things, Book of Mormon being true, Joseph Smith being a prophet, Moses actually parting the Red Sea. Like all of these things, God creating the world versus ev evolution or a big bang theory. Like it's all faith versus doubt. And there are some things that, that are out there that point towards doubt. And there are some things out there that point towards faith. And some people are farther on the faith spectrum and some people are farther on the doubt spectrum. So I, I guess the thing about the blind faith, I really struggle with that because I don't feel I, I do agree that there are a lot of people who are critical of other people who aren't just always following the prophet. And I don't think that's okay. Right. Well, but, and, and it's like yeah. you mentioned a little bit of like COVID and stuff. If you, if you take it a step back from religion, like in general in society, like for instance, in politics, sometimes people believe leaders just because it's easier. It's easier than them having to use their brain. Right. And, and that's not faith. <laughs> You know, believing that whatever comes out of President Nelson's, who is our prophet, his mouth is not thinking for yourself, right? And I think you're actually much more faithful if President Nelson says something and you're like, and you think about it, maybe pray about it, maybe study it, and then you believe in it than just someone who's like, well, he said it, so I believe it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to think about it. Like, in some ways, that's lazy. That's actually the opposite, I think. Of, I think of, I think this is where our diverse um, positions is really going to come to head because, Josh, you and I, with what Lance just said, have had heated conversations, kind of probably the most heated you, you and I have ever had, not a fight or anything, but about how I have said, and, and you know I look, I research the things that I'm challenged by and question things and, and whatever, but I have said that when the prophet says something, I will walk into it with a blind obedience and then work it out later. Now, that may not always be the healthiest perspective for someone with a with a 
a uh, doctrine or policy or something that's triggering for them. Someone that's very, uh, that's almost an anti-vaxxer. And then President Nelson comes out and here's the policy. We're not going to say names, but Lance and I have talked about people that we know of who were free or were upset and irate because they said um, during COVID, you can't go onto Temple Square to see the lights without a vaccination. And that person said, well, Jesus wouldn't be standing there turning people away. And I was like, well, apparently he did because his prophet is <laughs> said that you can't go on the side without the prophet. And it'd be a different situation if Jesus was there. But someone that's like very political or, or indoctrinated medical science or whatever, someone that is very informed or just opinionated about that topic, that was a triggering thing for them. Where walking with blind obedience and blind faith in the prophet. That was a hard thing for them. For me got a vaccination and I go to Temple Square, but I, I just follow through those steps. We, you and I have talked about um, policies and things and doctrines about homosexual um, members and rights and things that they can and can't do if they're practicing all that stuff. And I said that I would always walk in blind obedience, even though I didn't fully understand that stuff because there are relationships and people in my life that it does affect personally but I don't know. I it could be, and this I'm saying then Lance's defense. This could be a weakness for me that I don't. I'm not working through and and criti- not, It's not. He's not saying to criticize, but I'm not trying to break down and and uh, scrutinize every single thing that comes out of profit uh, or the or the church's policies or anything. I will go forward exercising that faith until I have something that's really come up and triggered me. And I finally did have something recently, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I remember what it was. My son signed this. Of all the things that we've talked about, transgender things, homosexual things, all this stuff in my life, you guys both know I've been, I've gone through some, some low points in my life. Never shaken my testimony or interest in going to church ever. But my son signed up to go to a youth camp through the church a couple of weeks ago. Paid for it was like 75 bucks, not a big deal, but he was all excited. And I don't have a lot of time with my kids, I don't have them full time, like get them into church activities and young men's programs and stuff like that. That the church does, but going to this week uh, camp, he was excited about it and he was ready for it. But then, right when we got the the um information the like the week before, because I don't plan ahead, as you know, he, we saw on the standards that hair length has to be above the shoulder, <laughs> and his hair is down his back, and I was like. Are you freaking I was mad. I went, I talked to my bishop the next day. I was pissed because I was like, if they don't, I mean, we're in a, in a world where like dealing with unisex bathrooms and people, (laughs) drag queens, these these big social issues. And we're worried about some grooming standard that was probably like photocopied from some policy in the same rule book from the seventies. And if he ends up being turned away because of his hair length, I was going to be irate because this isn't going on a mission for two years. This is a week long camp with a bunch of freaking college age kids who are just hanging out with the kids in a college dorm. No one said anything. We got them there. We went in, but I've never seen myself that upset about anything with a program that was governed by the church as I was that stupid little thing. And we, and you know, we've talked about some big stuff. So it's interesting how different people can be triggered by different things. And I wasn't like, I'm not going to go to church, but I told, I was, I seriously said, you know, I'm not going to push to keep my kids going to these activities then because who cares if it's not going to be inclusive for my son, who's a good kid. He's well-groomed. He's, he's a good looking kid. And he was because of his hair length. No one said a word. 
Um, but I was like, I was, I was upset about it. Well, let me, let me, share, let me share a story about that. And this is something that I think about often on that very same thing. I have a look at Josh's beard, by the way. Right. <laughs> I remember I remember when I had uh I, when I got called to be on the high council, I remember asking the stakes president, I was like, Do I have to shave? And they're like, No. I was like, All right. I'm, I'm there you go. No, yeah, no, uh that's a new thing though. It used yeah, to be that they would tell yes. all bishops had to be clean cut, all you know, even they used to sometimes turn people away from the temple if they didn't, you know, shave. Yeah. Youth had to have ties on to pass the sour boat, like white shirts and ties to do sacrament, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, and that's what I was upset about. I was like, we're in a world where, where my son could have come to church and said, I associate as a, or, or I, I, I'm a girl, whatever. And they, they, I, it would have been a whole different controversy and they probably would have let him. I don't know, but that would, but, but his hair length was the issue. I was like, this is not the world where that's a standard to fight about. So I remember one time at a youth dance, this is in the nineties, probably nineties. 97 there was a kid in our in our ward who had been struggling for a very long time and kind of fallen into a bad group and he kind of was like a punk rocker had a mohawk and his mom had got him to agree to go to a church dance so he shows up with his mohawk and there was a member of the stake presidency there and he said uh you can't come in with a mohawk you gotta let it down and he's like i'm not gonna let it down and he goes then you can't come in and the mom came and said, walked up to him and said, listen, my son has been in some really bad spots. This is the first time I've been able to get him to come to a church dance. I really would appreciate it if you let him in with his mohawk because I don't know where he's going to go. And he wouldn't let him in. And he ended up leaving and he never came back to church after that. Mm-hmm. And and that's the type of stuff you see. And this is the type of stuff that the church culture stuff yeah. that really, really gets to me is like this stuff where these things that in the eternal perspective i don't think god really really consider when when in the in the business of saving souls i don't think when you get there is going to be like well you kept your hair past your shoulder lengths (laughs) no but you know but at the same time with what lance was saying i don't think it's wrong to challenge or scrutinize or question or even suggest changes for policies because i do believe that you know, 20 years, because I said, I was like, this is in the 80s or 90s, 20, 30 years ago, it would have been an appropriate standard that we want to encourage people to have, but not to the point of keeping someone from coming in. I think that's intolerant and unaccepting or non-inclusive. But I don't think that means anyone should just go, that the church shouldn't say there is a reason that we do encourage clean cut living, missionaries having missionary standards and things like that. And that's not just the church. The police departments and other other organizations that have a public presentation, they have like standards on like certain tattooing in certain parts of the body and stuff like that. And it's like I understand that because there is a a an appearance or the appearance does make a statement and you are representing something. And so if you have a missionary who is wearing a name tag that says Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, that, you know, them having a Mohawk, that would be a different story than someone just coming to a school dance. You know what I mean? Right. So, and, but but at the same time, <laughs> these policies in the in these books have been just carried over, and no one's probably looked at that paragraph in the in those in those in that standards ruling for fifteen years. And so it's like, okay, well then challenge it, question it, and say, hey, uh, dear uh, uh, leader of this uh, camp, my son's coming. Hope you that's fine, but you you may want to just look at this. Maybe this is an important thing to have in there. 
I don't know. Because well, it's changed. But I don't think that means they were always wrong. Well, uh, it, it's a it's a fine line. And the point of the, the blind faith part, like I said, I I don't think I don't think it's ex it's expected that you have blind faith. But I hope that, you know, like, like you said, there's a spectrum. Some people, they always fall. Like, Tim, you, you tend to, except for this weird hair thing. Like, you, you, you tend to fall always on to, a, to, to, to the faith part. Yeah. And, uh, Lance, we got you back. <laughs> or at least we. Yeah, sorry. I lost you guys there for a second. I can't hear you either. Give me a second. Okay. Yeah, but you're saying yeah, and that's the thing, and and that's been in our heated conversation. I said I will always stand on the side to a fault. Like I said, I mean that. I'm not saying that as a as a as a catchphrase. I'm saying to a fault. I really that could be to my detriment in some situations. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it's uh, and but that's not to say I don't question or have questions, and I don't and I do ask my questions, but I always lean on the side of obedience, blind obedience, even. For things I don't, I haven't looked into. People come up with challenge or challenges with things that challenge their faith, and I'm like, and they may ask me a question. I'm like, I don't know. I've never been bothered by it. You know, when Lance and I did a conversation on my podcast about the uh, that uh, the CES fine that the church did and whatever, and I'd be like, you haven't researched. I'm like, no, I saw the headline. I wasn't worried about it. Like, it's not something I. I don't have to go in and delve into every single thing that comes up, every headline or hot topic that the that the, is red flagged about the church. Because unless it's something that catches my interest or affects me personally on a level I, I feel I need to, I'm always I'm I lean towards the side that I know uh, of the like Lance was saying about the church, about working for the church as a company. The intentions are righteous and good, and they are led by good and worthy men with the best intentions at heart. I don't believe they have an agenda to be corrupt, or and if they do, they sure don't live the lives of someone that does have those agendas. But they're not trying to control. They're not trying to just gain money and do all this stuff. They're not trying to do wicked or horrible things. They're out there with humanitarian, humanitarian aid and and good living and for the members, um, pro, or, or um, opportunities and and financial assistance from members and compassionate efforts all over the place, but also building beautiful buildings that are very expensive, you know, and encouraging members, even though they could afford to hire a cleaning crew every week to clean every building, they have the money having us do it. So we can be a part of that work and show reverence and appreciation for the buildings and everything. I, I, hold on. <laughs> that, was one, that was the one spot we talked about when I found out about that the, was, uh, <laughs> I found out about the finances and I heard there was like a hundred billion dollars in some fund. I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, why am I cleaning the church like <laughs> yeah. like, you kidding me? I was like, oh, okay. like for me, but it, for you, it was like, why do I have to clean the church every six months when they can afford someone? <laughs> yeah, I was like yeah, because that's that is, right here. That, that is well, no, that, that's just funny because to me, that's that is that it's a big deal. Went, that's what went through my mind because I am so busy all yeah. the time, right? And and that is something that I I do that came through. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, and you know, I'm not trying to air all my dirty laundry, but I remember thinking to myself when that happened, I was like, you know, this church has a ton of money. And uh, I am so taxed just with my time that like the, the expectation um, 
the expectation of members, particularly members in leadership, when they're in elders quorum presidencies or relief society presidencies or in stake leadership callings, the amount of time away from your family to do those things, it's it's like another job. It's like another part-time, even full-time job. Yeah. And if they're if they have this these funds out there that could take some of the some of the load off the members who are volunteering so much time, I wish they would. But you know, I mean I don't have to I don't have to be the one to 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 make those decisions, but I will complain about I it. I feel there's there's this isn't counting what you're saying, but I'm just saying like this is an example of different people with different perspectives, different um, concerns in their lives, different priorities, different obligations. Like I and I, I think I mentioned to you when we were having those conversations. I when I was teaching institute, I was teaching all the way across the Salt Lake Valley. Um, my class started at seven or six thirty. My class start, when my class started six thirty, and it's like a forty-five minute drive without being rush hour but for me to drive out there just to go right in time for my class to start it'd be like an hour and a half drive so i would have to go out there like two hours early just to get a regular flow of traffic and then i only sometimes only had like one person or two people in the class was that still worth my time to to invest like like a five-hour trip for that one class and not including class i'm absolutely um, is that a sacrifice or something that I was able to do to show the Lord that I was trying to help and, 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 uh, fulfill a responsibility that I agreed to in this assignment? Absolutely. Did I gain a lot out of it? No. Could they have hired professional people in that area to, to help with it? Yeah. But, um, I got something out of it. So my point is just this, which is, it's just funny that you, that when we talked about that, it was funny that that triggered you so much. When Lance and I did the video about the, those articles, we were like, nah. And Lance is in the finance department of the church in a whole different area. But like, it was fun having his perspective, but it's like, nah. <laughs> I was yeah. fine with it. but like the hairline that triggered me. Right. So it's just it's weird how different, not weird. It's just interesting how, how different people um, have different priorities or, or concerns that, um, that spike when different things are approached them at different periods of their life, because different periods of life that may have not bothered you so much and things, but the hair wouldn't bother me so much. I don't know. Well, okay. Let's, let's move on to the next part of this. Cause this is kind of the meat of it. We've already been talking for an hour, Tim. Uh, okay. So, so here's the rest of this. It says, if I'm being completely upfront, I've really been struggling a lot. I've struggled with things I've learned about church history, particularly Joseph Smith and polygamy. It bothers me that he seemed to do it without Emma knowing. It bothers me that he married very young girls. I also struggle with other things. Brigham Young and not allowing black people to have the priesthood. I struggle with the different accounts of the first vision and stuff around the Book of Mormon. I'm also struggling because the church seems to have hid this stuff from us for a long time. Uh, I don't mean to share a bunch of different things because uh, if you read this on an episode, I don't want to start other people questioning or re researching things that will make them question their faith because that's really hard. Um, but you've mentioned you've had some questions before. How did you handle it? Did you have some any time where you didn't go to church and what advice would you give? And Lance, we lost Lance again. He missed all that, so we might have to read it again, but still. That's okay, because what, what Josh went through and he had those questions, I just set him straight. And and I said, Lan or, Josh, the church is true. Get over it. And then he got over it. So Right. That's exactly how that went. Perfect. 
<laughs> no, I, you know, I'll, I'll start with that. First of all, let me just say anything that you've said here is stuff that I've, I've heard numerous times from numerous different people. So you're not alone in feeling those things. And I don't think it's wrong to struggle with some of those things. I think there's a lot of people who do, and I don't, I don't fault anyone for wondering uh, about this type of stuff. The church history stuff is, is it's different. And uh, I, so I don't think that there's anything there that I haven't heard before. Um, but asking how I, my, my faith struggle, I think was a little different in that, like those things, uh, maybe I'll address it in a couple different ways. First, the, these things that you're talking about, yes, I understand that they are not a good look there. That's bad. Like, I don't, I don't like it either, but I think that we need to remember that prophets are imperfect often very imperfect. I was actually just having this conversation not too long ago. I mean, like the, the, the old and new Testament is riddled with prophets who did horrendously terrible things. I mean, you know, uh, you know, or, or Kings too, like King Saul was a terrible, like when he got called to be the King, people were like, really, <laughs> you know, he's the one. I mean, if you think about David, you know, David was king for a while. God appointed him to be the king of, uh, uh, and he, what did he end up doing? He ended up, uh, you know. He had to have sex with his wife. Yeah, he, he sent a guy to the front lines to die because he impregnated that guy's wife. You know, I mean, Moses wasn't allowed to walk into the promised land because of sin. Uh Lot, when when in, when the Sodomites came to his door to try to take the angels to rape him, he's like, no, nah, you can't have the angels, but you can have my daughters. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's all sorts of things in context that look not great, you know. Uh, and let's not forget that Judas Iscariot was an apostle and sat there and watched everything Jesus did for years. Including and, having his own feet washed before right. he left. And then he gave, gave him up for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied the Savior three times. So, I mean, and, and Paul held the, the cloaks of the people who stoned the Apostle Stephen. And he's given us most of the writings of the New Testament. So, you know, does it bother me that we know so much about Joseph Smith that there might have been some things in there that were not great? Uh yeah, hundred percent. And do I pretend to know why it was that? Um, uh, do I pretend to know why Joseph Smith was the prophet called? No, but I but I believe he was, and that just comes from a personal testimony that I have. I don't know what what your thoughts are. Too. Well, I have a I mean a lot of things, but we got to kind of take that down. Um, are you good? Are you good for a minute, Lance? I just yeah. to know okay. I can hear you guys now, so that's okay. good. <laughs> okay. Before I give my just, I just have a couple of thoughts, and this mine are going to be kind of like kind of blanket thoughts about. But why don't you, Josh? Why don't you read the paragraph one more time for Lance to hear, so he can listen to what I have to say, and then he can chime in and fix all of us. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to add the other part of this though. In that, and then I'll and then I'll do that. 
the other thing was that my my faith struggle was very different than this because because yes these things bothered me but they they didn't bother me so much that i questioned my whole kind of moral standard i guess it, it didn't it was it was a situation where i was like these are not things that are going to cause me to throw out my entire moral framework and uh, mine came more of uh, i was kind of struggling with some of the circumstances that were going on in my own life at the time and it was simply because of a situation where i was like and, and i don't know because, and i only i only bring this up because i don't know the whole story and if this person were if i was on a phone call with this person i'd be asking questions like that and i would say are there things going on in your life that kind of don't seem to match up with what you would have expected because that's what happened for me like there were things going on in my life that I was like, listen, if I did all these checklist things, I thought I was going to be promised joy. And I very much did not have that. And, and I, and I really struggled with that like quite a bit. And, and I, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's not like those feelings have gone completely away, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, because it's, it's, it is a struggle, right? Like you kind of hope that like, you know, when you're, when you're doing all the things like you're, you're, like I said, I mean, I, I don't think anyone could question for a long time that I was doing everything I could as far as what I was supposed to do for my testimony. Yeah, I don't I'm, question that. You don't question that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, I was, I, I, you know, I don't think anyone could question my work as a missionary. And when I came home, you know, I served in every calling I was ever asked to serve. I always paid my tithing. I, I can't think even to this day, I can't think of, three weeks in a row that I've missed of church. So to answer the question, did I ever have a time not going to church? No, I haven't. Um, and uh, I, you know, when I was called to be like an elders quorum president, I went full throttle on that. I mean, I went full throttle on high council on, on bishopric, you know, the executive secretary calling I've, you know what I mean? I've all my kids have gone to all the, you know, they go to mutual, they FSY, they do all, I mean, I, they go to seminary, all of that, you know, I've, it's very much, I'm doing all of those things. And, uh, and so when you do all those things and then things happen to you that you're like, that are kind of out of your control and, and you go, okay, where God, I thought this was kind of a contract, right? Like obedience, you know, every blessing is predicated on obedience. So where's the blessings? And I had to really dig deep and find the blessings and and accept that it doesn't mean if you can do everything you want and other people have agency and other things are going to happen to you. So so that was my struggle. My struggle really wasn't uh, like a church history or a doctrinal thing. It was more of a life circumstance thing and also a struggle with and some of the and, and also some of the things that I was starting to see in church culture that bothered me. Like I was going to pin on there what you were saying, struggle not meaning you didn't have questions because you and I had many questions as those things were coming up, questions that you had. And we, we talked through a lot of those things, but that's oh, different yeah. struggles. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. 100%. And there are still things like let's just put it out. There are still things that I wish were not true about the church. You know what I mean? There are still things that I look at in the church that I'm like, that I go, I don't necessarily understand why that is the way that it is. But that doesn't mean that I don't have faith in the church as being true. 
Right. And also, we, if you truly believe the canon is open, meaning that God is going to give prophets and apostles revelation, and, and that those revelations are specifically tailored to the needs of the people to succor them and bring them closer to God, almost anything is on the table as far as changes. So, so I, I don't know why those changes happen the when they do, but I believe that they can. And if if everybody who ever had a struggle with a question of anything left, it just become an echo chamber of everybody who believes the same way. And I don't think that's what God wants. Yeah. But anyway, going, uh, I'll read it, read the paragraph again uh, for Lance since he was gone. So it says, if I'm being completely upfront, I've really been struggling a lot. I've struggled with things I've learned about church history, particularly Joseph Smith and polygamy. It bothers me that he seemed to do it without Emma knowing. It bothers me that he married very young girls. I also really struggle with other things, Brigham Young and not allowing black people to have the priesthood. I struggle with the different accounts of the first vision and stuff around the Book of Mormon. I'm also struggling because the church has seemingly hid some stuff from us for a long time now. Um, I'm kind of cleaning this up because some of the, no offense to the listener, but you, you didn't finish some of these sentences. Uh, and, uh, and it says, I don't mean to share a bunch of different things because if you read this on an episode, I don't want to start other people questioning or researching things that will make them question their faith because that's really hard. Uh, but you've mentioned you've had some questions before. How did you handle it? Did you have any time where you didn't go to church? And what advice would you give? So so my, my first reaction before Lance comes in. I mean, some of the generic stuff about this stuff is, I mean, the the things that people would normally would come out with things, questions about polygamy, questions about blacks and priests and all that stuff. And we we had an awesome conversation um, after your podcasts where you had the interview with what was his name? Matthew Harris. Matthew Harris about uh, the history of how that all worked and where you really see the human side and the, the, the realistic um, insight of how, you know, church church-wide whatever it was organizational revelation happens whatever it was, really, it was i was really proud of that episode it went it came out yeah. really well yeah it's and the then, only one i ever shared of yours it's <laughs> <laughs> like this is a good one and then we had a follow-up conversation on my podcast but you really see the inner workings of how that stuff happens with real human um perspectives and different and and contradictory opinions and and how all that stuff fleshes out when the lord moves um his work forward now you had some big hangups on that. What we've we've talked about off air as well. Not hangups like doubts or anything, but like you know, you your your lawyer side of you really challenged a lot of that addressing the the stakes in that history. Um, for me, without digging in and weeding out and looking up the accounts of did who said what did Joseph what did what was Joseph's real relationship with Emma? What was the transparency about polygamy and all that stuff? I've never felt like I really needed to dig into all of those different perspectives because a lot of those come out and it's hearsay. A lot of it is um, someone heard someone say or, or third accounts or whatever, or there's just contradictory accounts of what happened. And for me, I even with the specific dialogue of what happened between them, if we had access to what was said between Emma and Joseph about polygamy or what Joseph said contrast with what Brigham said about blacks and priesthood, all that stuff, 
I still can't as, or analyze it or, or give, put a, a full opinion on it in context because I don't understand the historical context. I really don't. And that was the coolest thing that came out of that discussion with with, with Harris was he like, yes, Brigham Young was racist, but he but look at where he lived, you know, and there's a lot of like Jordan Peterson has conversation or has um, statements where he says the same thing when people are like, I never would have been a Nazi. I never would have done. He's like, look at where they lived and the, the influence of, of the time, what you were going to be some hero. I mean, it's, it, it, you can't look at it that way in hindsight because we don't understand and I don't believe we can comprehend the context. Is this making an excuse? No. Um, but this is the bottom line with that is, like you said, they aren't wicked men, but they're imperfect men. And even though you can, we can say, yes, they made mistakes and maybe policies were done or people were withheld from opportunities and blessings like blacks and the priesthood or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're saying that they were bad men for doing it. It's just, in my opinion, the Lord allowed this to go through in spite of their imperfections where he might have to fix it later through another generation or through other men. Now, the historical context aside, the transparency for me is a big thing. And I think this is part of the, the meat of the question. Why was the church hiding all this information for so long? I don't. I never looked at it that way. Lance and I were talking about this the other day, actually, about how the church put out pictures of like the seer stone and or seer stones, whether or not they were the seer stone or whatever. And I remember when that happened in the 2000s and I was like, holy crap, we have those in the archives the entire time and they never showed it to us. Like, why were they withholding? And I was like, why, why am I entitled to know everything that, you know, that's all those sacred nature of some of those things are done. And I said, what if President Nelson was handed the, the golden plates by Moroni? And he said, we're going to start going into the sealed portion and we're going to have a committee and the apostles are going to start working on this stuff in the in the temple or whatever. Why do I feel entitled to know every little thing and full transparency? The, the church should tell us everything that's going on and all the secrets and all this, everything happening I don't think I am entitled or need or should know everything going on. As far as why we've learned the things we have now, why the church has put out essays and and literature and official statements on addressing the various accounts of the first vision, polygamy, Joseph with his young wives, um, all this stuff, blacks and priesthood, heavenly mother, all this stuff. Why we have those essays is because now we live in an age of complete information like anyone has access to information and while you're reading that i've never made this comparison this isn't probably a great comparison but the example is how in public school systems um, for the most part sex education has slowly just gone lower and lower and lower because of the society feeling that we need to teach our kids younger and younger and younger to get ahead of you you mean lower you mean like lower in age younger age yeah so like it used to be like whatever you know you know sixth grade or whatever then they're like we need to teach fifth graders and later on the room maybe we need to teach in fourth grade and and it just kept dropping because they were already getting exposed to all this stuff with technology and cell phones and pornography or whatever so they were trying to get ahead of it and say, well, we need to teach it younger and younger and younger. Well, 
in the age where the internet has come to full light and a lot of information, including details about him reading out of the, the seer stones in a hat have become much more common knowledge. Does that mean it wasn't true? We were lied to all those years. No, it's just, that's a detail that doesn't really change the story. Like, uh, we- I'm going to push back on you on that because, okay. because here's the thing, right? Like, do we need to know all of these things? You know, there's an argument to be made that, Maybe we don't need to know exactly how everything happened. No. But when they put out pictures of Joseph Smith sitting there reading from the golden plates and Oliver Cowdery writing things down and they're sitting right next to each other, it does put out a false narrative about what happened. And that's and that is what I think is is the I actually think personally, for at least this is all anecdotal, but like <laughs> I think that people have more of a struggle with the fact that it seems as though the church has put out a narrative for a long, long time that is proving to not be accurate. So I would hold on is becoming a bigger problem than the actual thing. So like blacks in the priesthood, Matthew Harris, that podcast reveals like the kind of narrative that I had always assumed was that like one day Spencer W. Kimball got a revelation and the quorum Mm -hmm. of the 12 all agreed that, that the day was going to be lifted and the long awaited way day has come and all these things. And that is just not what happened. Right. And, and so the, the thing that is the struggle is I, I hate to use the term. I'm not going to use the term, but like, you know, the, the idea that they've been telling us a narrative that isn't accurate and then have turned around and been like, well, Like, in fact, I think that a lot of the reason why a lot of people my age are kind of struggling is when we were coming up, we call it's being called the seminary generation. Right. We all come up and we're kind of taught, you know, everything the prophet says is doctrine. And then like this stuff kind of comes out, you know, the Internet becomes more prevalent. We learn these things. And then the church is kind of like. Well, not everything they say is. <laughs> I, I think that um, it's interesting. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. When people bear testimony, they often say, I know the church is true. In, in some ways, like normally when I bear my testimony, I don't say that. And it's not because I don't believe in the church's leaders, the priesthood you know, the organization, stuff like that. It's because to me, when I say, I know the church is true, what does that mean? Because I know that the church exists. You know, <laughs> I go there every Sunday. Like, I don't think it's disappeared. Um, I, I know it's not perfect for sure. And I don't think anybody will tell you that it is. Even the organization has changed. Um, there's the way it's organized, uh, you know, even you've seen priestum quorums in our lifetimes change, you know, that are established. Um, it, I think that sometimes people think of the church as like this thing that is like, I know that Jesus is the Christ, right? I know that that's true. That's a thing that's, you know, it's there. I know the church is true is not the same because the church is not perfect like Christ was. The church is an organization that is constantly evolving, and it mm-hmm. has been constantly evolving for, for 6,000 years at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, and, and that's hard to struggle with. And I notice that some people, I think some people go to church on Sunday for different reasons than me. 
like, and uh, I always, my most intimate experiences with the gospel, with God, um, have never been in church. They've always been like when I'm studying the scriptures, when I've received personal revelation in the temple, in, even outside of the temple, like my most intimate experiences with the gospel have never been inside the, the buildings of a chapel. So I look at the church as something different. To me, it's a place where I go to take of the sacrament because I need it, because I need to be, I, I need the sacrament. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but if I go for more than a couple of weeks, like I don't even like state conference or general conference when we <laughs> skip it, right? Because to me, it, it actually gives me some kind of spiritual, like I can palpably feel that it gives me some kind of power to take of this. And, and we know that we're renewing our covenants. We're repenting. That's why we do the sacrament. We're remembering Christ and stuff like that. But outside of that, the rest of it's all just fluff to me, to be honest. Like to me, it's like, Half the time people are blabbering on about false doctrine that's not correct. And I know it's not correct because I've studied the scriptures and I've studied the words of the prophet. And I know they have zero idea what they're talking about. So I don't go and I don't go there necessarily. I mean, once in a while you do get in a spiritual high and, you know, I'm not saying I don't feel the spirit there and that I don't appreciate people's testimonies and stuff. But to me, that's not where it comes oh, from. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I've, I mean, we've talked about all our pet peeves about church and stuff like that. So, can we, can we also if, just, that's actually a lost episode. I never posted it because it got, <laughs> yeah. But, but what I'm saying, yeah, what I'm saying is like, if you're the core of your beliefs is, is going to church on Sunday, like, I can totally understand why you have faith crisis. <laughs> so, well, I would encourage you to move well, to that, something different yeah. than that. I think that's also super important what you just said there. And that, that is that like the sacrament is the most important part of going to church. And there is a, I do enjoy the fellowship aspect of church. Like I do like having like-minded people that I can, yeah. I can come together with and have really good spiritual discussions. They don't always happen in gospel doctrine, uh, you know, but like, but like, I love, um, I, I do love some, I've had some great lessons where I've, I've felt things. And, um, I, I wanted to share a story that I think, um, uh, mission president who I just had on, he, um, he, he just recently, uh, left. He was the Roseville, California mission president. And he shared a story that elder Bednar had shared to mission presidents uh, with mission presidents rather about the church in Africa. And they were saying, um, that the, they came to him and I can't remember what part of Africa it was, but he came, they came to them and said, Hey, listen, we'd like to start having two sacrament meetings on Sunday. And they was like, well, why would you want to do that? And he goes, well, he said, because we take the sacrament and then we spend the entire rest of the time confirming people and giving them the gift of the Holy ghost, because there's been so many baptisms. So we don't have times for sacrament talks. So we'd like to have a second sacrament meeting so we can have sacrament talks. And Elder Bednar was like, no, no, no. You guys are doing it right. <laughs> we're, we're doing it wrong. Right. You know, like, and, and I think that's the point, right? Is this, this fluff. You're, the whole purpose of church is to come to a place where you can feel the spirit. Because quite frankly, there are some people out there um, 
who they just live in circumstances where it's the only place that they feel the spirit. Yeah. So it's very important. But but I think you're right though. If your if your testimony is based on what your bishop or the like we we all went on missions, right? And I think we all had an experience where we where someone got baptized because they were just just really connected with a missionary and then the missionary left and then they went less active, you know. Um if you're connected to a bishop or a missionary or a stake president or a, a one prophet and your testimony is based on that and then that changes it, you're you're bound to have one of these crises because yep. It needs to be grounded in the, I feel like the reason they, they asked me, what did I do? And have I left, have I ever had a period of leaving the church? No. And, and believe me, there have been times where I have been, people have said things to me that I did not like, and I was not okay with. And there's been times where I've had, you know, in my youth, especially, and even in my adulthood, there've been bishops and stake presidents that I did not get along with. Right. But my, my testimony has never been based on a bishop or a stake president or a teacher or a seminary teacher. It was based on my relationship with my savior. And I believe that, that the church is the vehicle to giving me the, the, the principles and ordinances that get me closest to him. So I just want to just throw in there that that's, that that's doing it right. Right there. And both of you just both elaborate on that, that your relationship, what you get out of church is your relationship with Christ. And I would connect with the fluff, as you both both described. I think the fluff and the nature that comes out of uh, the stories and conversations in Sunday school and partial or, or misinformed perspectives where people are sharing stories in, in Sunday school or primary classes with kids. That's how we end up with paintings that don't represent a hat being involved in the translations. I don't think that the fluff is the meat of it. And I don't think that's the important part of it. And I feel like for me in this era where we have all this information, you know, like I was saying earlier, where we, we have information or we have a perspective from the church. And when you read those essays, it's not saying this is what it is. They're saying this is a perspective. This is how we feel. I mean, really, it has that tone of like, this is how we feel. There's something to think about while you consider Heavenly Mother or whatever. Or here's the facts of what we do believe. And then here's some other ideas or accounts like the Book of Abraham stuff, burning the fire. Like, here's some thoughts about it, you know, whatever. But I think the fluff is how we get those mis mis misconceptions. But if our, our testimony is focused on the Savior, and if we're trying to live righteously, if we're trying to read the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon, to strengthen that and follow those teachings, all that other stuff is nothing but fluff. And it doesn't matter. And I think we can, we're going to go through this life just like Lance gets or endures a day of church where he got the most important part out of it from taking the sacrament and his relationship with the Savior being strengthened. Now he can go in the next couple of weeks or whatever. If we can just continue to find those moments that really connect us to the Savior, that's the strength. That's the key. I don't think focusing entirely on the the histories and even with questions, we have great, have questions, research questions, but do it faithfully and prayerfully, not going off of every article and every every quote that you read of, about it from a, an antagonistic perspective. Exercise faith, live the gospel, 
learn how to how to really feel and connect to the spirit you have to everyone feels the spirit or is taught by the spirit differently everyone receives revelation differently you have to figure out your method or the way the lord speaks to you and i don't mean your own he teaches you something he's different than he's going to teach someone else but he might teach you in a different way that he teaches someone else learn how to really receive revelation for you and these questions will they'll, they'll either be answered or you'll have peace about them and you may not get an answer in this life. I don't feel like the church does withhold. I don't feel like the church. I think the church, maybe, maybe the narrative didn't happen until this day of information. They're still discovering stuff. They've changed additions and, and things in the doctrine and covenants in the scriptures in our lifetime because of things that they've uncovered in the history of the church. So just because we didn't have the full, uh, the, all the information available, that a lot of things that the scholars of the church didn't have full information Brother Harris, in talking about the, the history of the blacks and the priesthood, look at all the research and all the intimate interviews and, and access to journals and things that he had to dig through to develop that narrative. Does that mean the church was lying to us the whole time? No, I think we just had key information and we just kind of made a fluffy story and shared it in Sunday school for 100 years. Mm. Well, but I think we do have to be honest, though. We have to be honest that the church has lied. They have said some yeah. things that are incorrect. They've they've made mistakes. It drives me crazy all the time when I hear the church sometimes is producing propaganda, and I do not like propaganda. I don't like propaganda even if it has a, a seed of truth in it, which you know the churches often does. But like, I, I I lean more towards I like what they're doing now, where it's like we're gonna sort of stop start dispensing with the propaganda and just put it out there. You know, for better or for worse, this is what happened. And I totally understand, and I think that people should be acknowledged in that they sh they have doubts. Like, who who wouldn't have doubts that Joseph Smith was sealed to, and I don't say married, I say sealed to, which is different than being married. We don't have any historical 100% record that said he had sexual relationships with a 15-year-old. However... If, if he did, I can totally understand why people have issues with that. And they should have issues with that. Like, what kind of a person nowadays would have not have issues with someone sleeping with a 15-year-old girl? Now, again, we got to take it in historical context. We have to and all that. But, I mean, I understand. What I'm getting at is I understand these issues. And we can't just, you know, say, well, you know, it's not as bad as you think. And things didn't happen. Maybe it is, you know. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that I think the church has been very honest, and I think that they should be. And we should also be honest that the church is never like there were a we read the New Testament all the time, and we read about Judas, one of the 12, that was a son of perdition, the worst you can be. So, why is it impossible that an apostle nowadays can make mistakes or, uh, you know? I don't think that these these are these people are untouchable, no. but it doesn't shake my faith. And the reason is because is my faith is not based on that, right? My faith is based on my relationship with Jesus Christ and his gospel. And I don't want to under you know. To me, the church is a place where I can go and help out rather than I go and it's a social like cauldron where we all sort of work together and get different perspectives and we have to learn to get along with each other. It's almost like a democratic like experiment, you know, where we all have to go and struggle together to get to a better place. And you should be a part of that. These people that say, 
I don't want to go to church. I don't believe in organized religion. Those are the people we need in the church because they're <laughs> going to help us with the perspectives that we really need to make some good changes in the church culturally. And, and, and I think that that's the way the Lord wants it to. On the flip side where I, I like being in gospel doctrine, participating in the, the, the false conceptions and the propaganda and all that stuff, because I, I like that part. <laughs> That's right, but I fit in in the classroom with all the false doctrine being shared better than I do in the hallway. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I, I I think what I was well now I've lost my train of thought because of Tim and his false doctrines. But I Can uh, I start sharing them yet or no? What? Can I start sharing them yet or no? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, I, I want to echo you know what you said there, though a little bit, Lance, and that is that uh, you know, yeah, that. There's a lot of stuff that the church has said that uh, that doesn't square. And, you know, the, these people are not perfect. And I think that's, you know, I think you you hit it right on the head. And that is that everybody, everybody from the top down is imperfect. And I remember having um, Ned Telford came on a podcast uh, not too long ago. And he's uh, my former stake president, happens to be my next door neighbor. He's now the communications director for the Citrus Heights Stake and goes to communication councils and all these different things and deals. He's also the executive secretary to the area presidency. And he said, he goes, I think there's a lot of people out there who think that, you know, Russell M. Nelson wakes up and has a three hour interview with the savior every day who tells him what to do. And then he goes and does it. And that's just not just not the case. And I think that that's even true. That's especially true in local leadership. Like I've been in bishopric meetings. You know what I mean? I've seen. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Josh. Yeah, I know. I oh, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> it, it. Ward council. It's it's fun to be a part of things going on, but it's also it it's it can be frustrating. But I mean, the point is, is that like. I've been in those bishopric meetings and those ward councils and I see the different personalities and the different insecurities and the different, you know, the different imperfections that every single one of those people have and they manifest themselves in those rooms, mine included. You know, there were lots of things I'm sure that I said in there uh, that was, was incorrect or that maybe put us down a path that, that wasn't the right one. You know, I, I don't know, but, um, but, you know, like, Every single one of these people, you, you can't if you're going to base your testimony on the perfection of the leadership or you're only going to sustain them if they're perfect, you, you're just going to be let down. Can you I know? just push back? not push back on that, but I want to put one caveat in there. And I've said this multiple times uh, in discussions with both of you. Yes, they're imperfect. And scripturally, there's a there's a huge trash like Star Wars There's the the the. The, uh, the legacy of the Jedi is failure. That's not the legacy of the prophets, but there is a lot of weakness in, in the prophets. And that's great because it shows that even weak, men, imperfect men can rise up and do great things that affect the world and fulfill part of the mission of the church. Well, but, if that's all it was, if they were left alone with just our imperfect leaders, the church would have failed a long time ago. Exactly. The power right. of the priesthood is a real thing. And the Lord has over and over and will over and over save his church. And he has. And the power of revelation comes in. And it's usually 
what's interesting, my experience with a lot of revelation is you got one side, then you got the opposite side and then revelation comes in and it's neither one of those sides. It's like, Oh, wow. We didn't even think of that. (laughs) And it's, it's amazing. The Lord has his hand in this and like he, he was not going to let his church, you know, apostatize like it did in the past. Like, so it's exciting to see that, but, but the Lord lets the leaders struggle for a while before that happens. So (laughs) that's my my pushback is that yes, they're imperfect, but I do not think it's a healthy practice to overly focus on their imperfections or overly scrutinize. And I don't believe it's even good to to, to really scrutinize. I don't think that's a healthy way to do it. Question. Yes challenge and scrutinize like the ordained women movement, things like that, where you lead people to opposing the church or the prophet in general conference. That's a horrifying situation, but I think, and that's scrutiny versus questions. Um, And I think that you, you know, speaking your mind and things like that, sharing on a platform like this, sharing your opinions and contrary opinions is fantastic dialogue. Not just, I'm not talking for viewership. I mean, like you were talking about bishops where you felt like you might've been rocking the boat a little bit in some councils. When I see a Bishop Rick, or a state presidency or something where you have three people that are very opposite minded and very different personalities. And I can tell that there's probably a little bit of clashing when they're coming to decisions. And I've seen some of those meetings. I think that's the healthiest uh, council to have is having people with very strong opinions. And the apostles talk about that now, but I don't think it's productive to overly challenge or dictate the worthiness or the perfections or issues of any profit in history. I don't think it's going to be as helpful as you focusing on the positive things that they did, seeking out a testimony of them individually and focusing on your relationship with the savior. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a dangerous place. You got to keep in mind that one day you might be that leader. So don't <laughs> don't criticize people for being uh, you know, any worse than you would be, I would say. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I actually have um I have a uh, set up in the next week or so, um, a therapist who is a member of our church, um, who's going to come on and talk about some of the neurological, I hope, I hope we depend, we'll see how the conversation goes, but talk about some of the neurology that goes into the brain and making some of these decisions. And one of the things that he talks about is how the brain is actually, the brain is actually like, prone to seeking out the negativity it's actually like more likely that you will find the negatives than the positives you actually have to force yourself to kind of have a positive mindset would you call that the natural man uh maybe maybe that's true you could you could say that but yeah i'm saying it's an instant but i i would say also that I, i you know i think we fall we definitely fall on different viewpoints on this and that I don't, you're right. I think that you, you shouldn't spend all your time criticizing or scrutinizing the works of prophets and apostles or anybody for that matter. Right. But at the same time, I do think that when somebody does something that is grossly inappropriate, that they are not above reproach, they are not above scrutiny. And, and that's, uh, you know, but again, that doesn't mean you don't sustain them. It doesn't mean that right. you don't think that there's some reason. And and I've, I've also noticed you know it's it's important too. And this is really getting you know I want to uh, in a minute just open this up more to like faith in general as opposed to just our church. But like in our church, you know, um, 
you're going to have a lot of different people who have a lot of different opinions and you have bishops are bishops for literally hundreds of members. Right. So, so like I've actually had this conversation with somebody where like, they really didn't like their Bishop. Like they yeah. just felt like their Bishop was just not the Bishop for them. And my response was like, you know what, maybe this Bishop, you're right. Maybe this Bishop wasn't called for you, yeah. but maybe this Bishop was called for somebody else who really needed this Bishop. You know, you don't know the, the, the scripture that says God's ways are not our ways. His high, his ways are higher than our, our ways is very true because he's dealing with the entirety of the world and making sure that everything works exactly in unison. And maybe, maybe something needs to happen to you. That is a negative experience for someone else who really needs a positive experience. Maybe they're the lost sheep and you're one of the 99 that needed to be walked away from, you know, and, and that's okay. I don't know. That may be wrong. Maybe your bishop's just a jerk. I don't know, you know, but I'm just saying that, that like that, that could very well be the case. And I think what Lance and said. the case is probably both. You probably, you know, for some people, <laughs> people are jerks and for others, they're, they're, they're what they need. Exactly what you said. I think, yeah, Lance is right though. When he said earlier that the, the Lord is in control overall, like no wicked or, or incompetent or incapable or potentially wicked or unlawful bishop is going to thwart the, the plan of God or the movement of the work indefinitely and no prophet can alter the work. And that's, and I do want to say with everything I was just saying earlier about like about sustaining profit and blind obedience and all that stuff, there is a different level of how I, I um, apply that for apostles and prophets and the first presidency versus local leadership. And I always sustain my local leadership. And if my Bishop says something I disagree with, I'm going to do it but I will have more scrutiny towards a bishop that I disagree with than I ever would a prophet or an apostle. Um, because in our church, local leadership is a very different thing than upper leadership, although we believe that the authority and the keys are on the from the same place. But I think scrutiny is a little different um, on those levels. Well, let me, let me switch this around then because one of the things that they asked was what advice do you have and what did you do? And, and let me just say, this is kind of, Everybody's got a different journey. And and I also want to comment real quick. And I think I said this before, but I want to say it again. Every single one of these things, you kind of have to choose whether you have faith or whether you doubt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yes, like if there's, there's not going to be any objective evidence out there that Jesus Christ and God the Father did appear to Joseph Smith. You're never going to get objective evidence of that. There's not going to be a scientific breakthrough that shows it. You're probably not ever going to see the golden plates. Okay. You're, those things are not going to happen. Well, that, that is going to happen, but when it does happen, it'll be too late. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, is that, is that every single one of these things from the concept that Jesus is the Christ, the creation, things that happen in the temple, all of this, you have to choose whether you're going to have faith or whether you're going to doubt. And I'm not going to criticize anybody who doubts. But for me, the way I reason those things, most of the time, I, you know, I lean towards faith. And, and that's, so that's what I did. And I think one of the things that I did that I told myself when I was going through this was I said to myself, 
I am going to keep going to church and keep doing my best to live the gospel and the commandments that I have grown up with until I know it's not true. So I'm going to live all of those things to the best of my abilities. Not that I do them perfectly. I very much don't. I have struggled very different times with different things. Um, but I've done my best and I told myself I'm going to keep going to church until I, until I don't believe it. And I think that that was really helpful for me because um, it'd be very easy when you let doubt creep in to start messing up and start, you know, giving in a little bit here, giving in a little bit there, uh, not going to church a couple weeks because you're, I'm struggling and I just don't really want to, I want to kind of relax, sleep in this, this Sunday and, you know, things like that. Um, in fact, I'll just tell you, I had, I had that today, today. I, I, um, my daughter is in a play and she has Sunday. She has a, a few Sunday, uh, plays that she has to do so i i took her to the play today and we walked what's that inappropriate <laughs> right. your bishop now huh yeah. your bishop now? <laughs> uh, probably will now uh and uh but um uh we walk out there and you know i have to drop her off about an hour before the play so she can get dressed up and do all that stuff and there's a peach festival going on you know uh outside and so I'm walking around looking at all the peach stuff and, you know, peach lemonade. It's 107 degrees out. So I bought a peach lemonade, you know, like all of these things. Christ, Christ yeah. only said corn, Josh. Corn <laughs> on Sunday, not peaches. So, so but my point is, is that like if it obviously if my my daughter hadn't been going to that play, I would not have been I wouldn't have gone to a peach festival on a Sunday. And it would be very easy for me if I were in the middle of a faith crisis to look at that and be like, because I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, gosh, this is really nice for a no. second, for like a split second. I was like, wouldn't it be nice to have an extra day <laughs> to just go and do the things you want to do and not have to go to church for a couple hours and hear testimonies from people, some of which are a little off, you know, and, uh, and isn't it interesting that those are the they they bear their testimony literally every month. But anyway, like, you know, but the thing is, is that like, so my point of saying that is, is it's very easy for you in those circumstances. I'm sure if you're having a struggle to go farther down the rabbit hole and put yourself in a place where it's you're almost doubting to justify doing things against your moral framework. So I would tell you. If you really, really, really want to figure this out, for me, stay within your moral framework while you're figuring it out. If you ultimately come to the choice of doubt, then you can readjust your moral framework. But I don't think anyone would argue. I mean, yes, you can talk about certain things about the church that doesn't purport with some of the things in society right now. But I'm just saying the framework of being a good person you know, some of the, the rules of staying away from drugs and drinking and smoking. I don't think anyone would tell you that those things are bad. So, you know, keep your moral framework while you're going through it. And, uh, and you know, the primary answer is pray and go to church, you know, read your scriptures. Those little things help immensely. So any, any thoughts from you guys on what? what I, uh, I, 
all this discussion has reminded me I have like I'm sure all of us now because the believers, you know, the Christians, they're they're becoming less and less. Atheism atheism is on the rise. Christianity is on the decline. Right? Um, it's not as bad as all that. I think sometimes we make that out to be more than it really is. But so we all have friends that are atheists, right, or agnostic, or you know, not Christian. And I had this one friend who I really respect. He's a great guy. He's a very moral guy. Like he's a you know, he's an amazing person, but he always gives me a hard time. Lance, I knew you were going to flatter me sooner or later. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> he, he often, he often's like, cause you know, if I bear my testimony about how I, uh, how I know that God exists and stuff like that, he'll just be like, well, you know, that's just a mental state that you had. It happens to other people. Like, how do you know it just wasn't your cornflakes that you ate in the morning speaking to you. And I was like, for a long, for the longest time, I'd always kick against that and be like, no, no." but I come to a realization that like, seriously, if your cornflakes in the morning are telling you to be a better person, then I would encourage you to listen to your cornflakes. Like whatever, whatever the source of it is, that's making you a better person and everybody you know, you can lie to yourself, but we all know what's making us a better person. If you follow that and you do what you know you need to do to become a better person, we're all going to end up in the same place. Like, in my opinion, what it's going to do is lead you to the gospel and you're going to ex- eventually accept the gospel. But you don't have to take my word for it. Just follow whatever it is. As long as it's bringing you to a better place, we're all shouldn't we all end up logically? Shouldn't we all end up in the same place if we do that? So to me, that's what faith is. Faith is less, again, about belief and more about what is it that you're doing to become a better person? And if you do that, then we're all going to be on the same page sooner or later. Yes, definitely. Tim, I'll give you the last word before we wrap up. Well, the question just is just thoughts about how we deal with those crises or whatever. Was that basically? The- yeah, basically, like, what advice would you give? I... I mean, I kind of said like it's it's hard to put a, a uh, just a, a uniform stamp over every question that comes up with all these big issues. But I mean, honestly, like I said before, delving too far down into things in the church history that we don't have all the information, and we and the, a lot of the information we have is presented from a uh, like I said an antagonistic uh, approach. Um, people that have access to grind or whatever, like, I don't know. It, it's hard. You can't and, and take the context, historical context. I mean, it's, it's really impossible for us to really go in there. Like, but like Lance and I were talking the other day, is it, is it crazier to believe that Joseph Smith used magic stones to translate or that he translated those with tr- magic stones in a hat? Like it, it, why is one so much more radical than the other thing? Did it do we believe that polygamy or polygamy is a was a real thing that church history is ordained of God and that is an eternal possible principle or, or it could be a, something that's practiced eternally? If we believe that, if we don't believe that Brigham Young and all them were, were just horrible, wicked men that should have only had one wife, then why are we to scrutinize what we know about Joseph Smith and like Lance was talking about earlier, the context of the, the, the ceiling concept versus marital versus having sex. Like there's a lot of different things coming out about those circumstances. If one, if polygamy is real 
I'm in a, in a, in a world or at a time where I can comprehend that having gone through a divorce with some complications and some dating things that I've experienced, not nothing like with polygamy or anything like that, but like, I, I don't have the maturity to even comprehend if President Nelson said we are now going to practice polygamy. I would not want to practice polygamy. I can't get my head around that concept. But I do believe that there was a time that it was ordained of God. So who am I to start saying who or how and when it should have happened and what was Emma's actual relationship about it? I can't do it. So my point is just I can't bury myself in these things that don't we don't have answers I, we, and, and, and all we can do is rely on the things that we do have answers for, which is, is the Book of Mormon true? Was Joseph Smith a prophet? Is Jesus Christ really alive? Was he actually resurrected? And if he was, what does that mean? And if he was and he came to Joseph Smith, what does that mean? If we really internalize that and we do have, you said, you said an objective uh, per, or a, uh, evidence of that happening that's true that'll never happen that, and that would con that'd be contrary to the pr principle of faith which is what we're here on earth to apply if we can learn how to apply that faith receive revelation like i was saying before for us and know that those things are true that is what's going to endure through any questions about church history or practices or policies that change or covid vaccines or whatever comes out in the in the last days None of it's going to matter because our foundation is built on whether or not Christ lives and whether or not Joseph Smith was really a prophet. If so, all those other questions are just going to be like, well, we'll sort it out later if we can. And it's, a, it's hard to just say that because, like I said, everyone's triggered by different things, whether it's hair length for my son going to a youth camp or someone else that has real issues with with a, a teenage child who has had. Uh, you know, sexual abuse issues or something like that. And then they hear a story about Joseph Smith and these allegations about him. That can be troubling for someone. I get that. But what it really will come down to is whether or not, as Lance said, the church is true. What does that mean? If Joseph Smith was a prophet, and if this is the Lord's church, and if Christ lives, and if he's really there as your savior, communicating with you through the Holy Ghost day to day, how can you strengthen that relationship that will give you the endurance for any questions or any faith crises. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think just to elaborate on one point you made there before we wrap up, uh, I think another church culture thing that I struggle with is these things like polygamy or these things like blacks in the priesthood or whatever. I often hear people in a gospel doctrine class or even in just private discussion saying, well, that had to happen because God needed this or God needed that. And if that hadn't happened, maybe this wouldn't have, you know, like kind of uh, speculating on why maybe God would have wanted something like that to happen. And I think that that does a lot of damage because yeah. we, because here's the thing, right? Like, I don't know why it was that way. I don't know why. For all I know, God had some weird reason. And for all I know, it could have been completely man-made. Like, I, I don't know. It could have been a huge mess up. All of it. I don't know. But I don't need to know. You know, I, I don't really, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about those things. What I think about is, is how am I going to get closer 
how am I going to be a better person? How am I going to progress? How am I going to be more, live a more Christ-like life? How am I going to help more people? How am I going to get my kids to be good people? How am I going to, you know, how am I going to get a little bit better? And how am I going to fix the things in me that are not righteous? And, and I think if we spent a little more time looking inward and doing those things, I don't think we'd have the time to look at all of these other things that in the grand scheme of things, like I understand I'm never going to tell somebody that they shouldn't think about these things because quite frankly, I do think it's very important to figure this out. I do think it's important because if you don't believe it goes back to that question I asked people at the very beginning, is this a doctrinal question or is this a cultural question or a policy question? If it's a doctrine question, that's a very different issue. If you don't believe that the Book of Mormon is true. You don't believe Joseph Smith was a prophet. That's a very different conversation than I don't like the fact that my Relief Society Society president talks crap about me. You know what I mean? Like, it's a completely different combo. Right. And so, um, but I think that ultimately, uh, I want to tell this this listener. I appreciate you sending a message uh, and, and letting us letting us reason this out with you. I hope that what we've said has been helpful and I hope to hear back from you to tell me if it was or if it wasn't, and maybe we can have another conversation and whatever you choose, uh, you know, whether you choose to, you know, I hope you choose to stay because we need more people like you uh, to stay. And if you, uh, and if you choose to go, uh, just so you know, I, I will still, you know, you're still free to reach out to me anytime. Um, I hope I hope it whatever you're going through, if there's something underneath all this that you're going through, and I'm not saying that there is, there very well may not be, but if there's something underneath it, I hope that whatever that is work gets worked out. I really do. So so Tim, uh Lance, you both have podcasts. Uh why don't you plug your own stuff? <laughs> Go ahead, Lance. <laughs> My only pad podcast is I play video games on Twitch. And I especially play Final Fantasy. I'm playing the Final Fantasy series, all the numbered games. There's only 16 of them. Oh and so I'm on, I'm on Final Fantasy V. I just finished Final Fantasy V, and I'm going to start the ultimate early uh, G- a JRPG game is probably Final Fantasy VI. It's got the best story, the best music. I'm about to start that. So look me up on Twitch. Carlisle Lance. Carlisle spelled funny. Doesn't have an S. Right, Josh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, C-A-R-L-I-L-E-L-A-N-C-E. And uh, yeah, come have a listen to Errant Gaming. Nice. How about how about you, Tim? You're a very active podcast currently. No, I'm not. I'm I'm a, 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 a sometimes frequent guest on Lance's podcast watching him play his games while I'm doing other things. <laughs> but um, so we have our archive channel of Saints on Cinema with Josh and, Aunt, and and well, Lance has been on there many times, and I and our co-host Ashley would talk about movies, but we that's kind of kind of fallen <laughs> to sleep. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, been on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if that ever kicks up again. But besides that, I have uh, my channel. If you look up Tim Wild, I have a bunch of videos. If you can find mine, I don't even know if it has a name, but I have my wild thoughts videos right i review serial and movies or whatever and i give i'll give commentary on things in, in society or whatever that comes up i have before it's not a lot of videos 
And then by last year, I started Wild Discourse, which is my current channel, which has been on hiatus. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on at work and everything um, that I'm going to get going after I get moved and get settled. And that's where I just talk about more meteor things in the gospel, controversial things, similar to this conversation, that I mean, things that could be controversial. Um, it's not about controversy, but just open discourse about anything where like Lance, for example, Lance and I talked about the CES letter and we had a conversation with the three of us. Where we talked about your episode about the blacks and the priesthood and our kind of some follow up thoughts about that. So it's just dialogue, uh, open conversation about different things. Um, no specific agenda other than it's just a, pl a safe place where nothing's off the table. Uh, wild discourse. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get some more uh, tra traction going on uh, on that on that front with some content. All right. Well, I'm just glad that you guys both came on here on uh, an episode that I can actually post. So <laughs> hey, that was your call. You're the one, you're the one that want to talk about polygamy, man. <laughs> you're like blacks in the priesthood. Okay. We'll talk about polygamy and stuff here, but Hey, we criticize some people about prayer and testimony meeting. We don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> No, no, no. It wasn't that. I just there was a there was a portion of the conversation that I it went it didn't have the tenor that I wanted it to have. We were we were joking around and it got it got a little heavy. So anyway, but that's okay. I appreciated this conversation very much. We'll obviously have you guys back again. And uh, uh, thanks for those who have listened. Um, we have a bunch of stuff coming up next. I got a I got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So just keep listening. Subscribe if you haven't already, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for having us, Josh. All right.